grateful uh, to be here this morning. Welcome to those online uh, and to you, to you in the room as well. There's something that uh, we can't, we, yeah, you can't experience it the same way other than being in the room together, to hear voices worshiping him as he deserves. Uh, you know, hopefully you brought your Bibles with you this morning. If you did bring, uh, bring them, just grab them. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to take some notes. This is your first warning to take notes. So there's some note pages in front of you, and there's also pens in there. Uh, hoping that you'll jot down what he speaks to your heart this morning. We want this word to, to, be, to be open in our lives, but that our hearts are open to what's in it. And every, uh, every week, our goal, our hope is that you would find Christ. Maybe you're a Jesus follower. Man, that you would just find him today. That's what this, this was this all designed for, is that we would connect, really connect with him. It's not so you can say, oh, I went to church, I can check the box for this week. It's that, man, I might know him. And that as a result of that, my heart would be changed and my life would be changed. His kingdom would come and his will would be done in and through our lives. That is our hopes. Why I'm here, hopefully it's why you're here. If not, let's get there. Let's get there. Let's help find people find Christ. Let's find, and let's do it together. Let's find community. So this morning, I want to talk about a topic that uh, comes up often in our lives, comes up often in my life. Uh, and I would say this, if you're not experiencing this issue right now, you will be. And it's not, uh, it's not one of those great uh, things that we're like, oh, this is, a, this is great, because it's actually one of the most common uh, issues that uh, we deal with. It's also uh, often one of the most difficult issues that we deal with. And if you're not dealing with it right now, you will be. It's not just for Jesus followers in the room. It's not, it's not a Christian thing. You might be here this morning, you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus follower. You're like, you're checking it out, you're curious. This applies to you as well. It's the very same for you as it would be even just for, uh, for us as Jesus followers. And there's hundreds of cliches about this topic. You find them online, you Google it, but there's not really any simple or easy answers. The cliches are great, but the answers aren't always there. And the other thing about this topic is it's multifaceted. It comes out in all different ways, in all different times. Uh, and, you know, I, I would compare it to like a, a, a diamond. But before I show you a picture, I want, uh, is there any women in the room who've got your engagement rings on still? You know, just hold them up. Just hold them up. Yeah, like, perfect. You know, and take a look at that diamond. Just take a look at those sparkles for a minute. You see them? I know. They're all looking. I see a lot of smiles around the room. No, most women are like, yeah, I'll show it off. That, no problem at all. Uh, but I would say this topic we're going to talk about is like the ugly diamond. Like this one. Um, do we have the picture of our ugly diamond? Yeah. I, I don't know what that is. Like, that might be a brain or... I, 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 there's no women in the picture. Like, she didn't even want to wear it to show it off. But you look at it. It's multifaceted. It's got, like... It's, it's brown. It's kind of... It's ugly. It's a diamond. But ain't nobody want to see that. And so, you know, this same thing is like that. It's like this multifaceted issue in our life that we actually don't really want people to see. We hope that they don't. Um, see it in our lives. And uh, so today, the challenge that I have is this, that you would listen for his voice, not mine, because this topic is so common. I probably have spoken to some of you this week about it. And you might think, oh, Mark wrote this sermon for me. I didn't. I didn't. My prayer is that his word would be what's talking in your life this morning. And so that's why I would encourage you once again, take notes. Jot down the scripture references that you can go back later and take a look at them. And so to today's topic, I was going to just give a shout out and say, hey, what do you think it is? But I'm not going to because you might shout out something you regret. So today, 
Today's topic that affects our life in many, many different ways is this topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness. And maybe as soon as I say the word, a name or a face comes to mind immediately. Maybe it's a prime minister of a certain country you live in. (laughs) Saying last night, maybe it's a certain hockey team in Toronto that's going to let you down one more time. And then they go and win and ruin my sermon illustration. So for those watching from Tampa, you know. But maybe, you know, it's, it's actually someone much closer. It's a spouse. It's a child. It's a parent. It was a trusted friend or it's an enemy that when you think of the word forgiveness, it's their face that's right there in front of you right now. And can I tell you, that's often how Holy Spirit speaks. That's how he speaks in my life. He brings something there. It's like, okay, this is what I want you to deal with today. This is who I want you to be thinking about as we walk through this. And I, I would encourage you to consider that. You know, this morning when we think about forgiveness, for some, there's this, like, there's this instant resistance that comes up. There's this, like, this instant feeling of like, anger about this, this person that's now come to mind. You're like, man, I, I haven't thought of them for a while. I didn't want to think about them. And now, now you made me think about them. Why do we have to talk about this? Why, why do I have to think about this? And sometimes we think we've dealt with something, and then it's, it's, like, it's like a landmine that comes up in our life. And I would say today, that's kind of where the territory we're in, danger. There's some landmines there. And I'll tell you this, it's a whole lot better when Holy Spirit reveals a landmine in our life than when it comes out in a time of an inopportune time later on. And today, if you see a name and a face, he's bringing it up for a reason. And if you say, I'm going to push that away, you'll find it again. It just may not be in a time that you would want. And the forgotten issues in our past tend to blow up when we least expect it. This topic is difficult because it's connected to pain. It's connected to hurt and pain. That's why we have this struggle with forgiveness. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, in so many other areas of our life, when it comes to pain, we will do anything. We will spend big money. We'll go through great effort to be pain-free. Like, anytime I hurt myself these days, I'll give it a week, and then I'm checking in at, with Otis in Hagersville at the physiotherapy, and I'm like, fix me. I don't care what it costs. I know my Dutch blood hates to pay for something like that, but I don't want the pain. You know, if you had, like, uh, maybe you've gone through physical things, like, say, have a, you know, gallstone attacks. They're not fun. And then you start getting to the spot, you're like, okay, fine, I give up. I'm going to change my diet because I just don't want the pain anymore. For some, it's like, I'll pop pills because I just don't want the pain anymore. We're, we're, we want to let go of it at any chance. And yet, in this area, it seems for so many, it's like, ugh, I don't want to let go. And as a result, we hold on to pain that we don't really want. Recently, I've been on both sides of forgiveness, the side of needing to forgive somebody and also the side of having, you know, being in need of being forgiven where I've wronged someone. And sometimes for us, those are the same person. Like it it can happen. It can happen regularly in in a marriage or in a in a family where it's the spouse or it's the parent. Like, yeah, we forgive and we need that forgiveness. Maybe that's you this morning as well. I don't think I'm the only one who struggles in this area. And, you know, there's lots of cliches online. You Google forgiveness and they make it sound pretty like we have pictures like this that forgiveness sounds pretty and then you have people who make these like these little statements that it's good to forgive and it's best to forget well thank you robert browning that's encouraging you know or you hear lewis smead say to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you you're like ah that does sound nice Gandhi said it this way, forgiveness is a virtue of the brave. And you're like, I'd like to be brave, but 
but I'm just happy to read what Gandhi wrote. It's like we read these things, we're like, yeah, they, 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 yep, I would agree with the truth of them, but it's just not that simple. It's not that simple. Maybe we feel more like C.S. Lewis where he says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until, any guesses? <laughs> until, until you have to forgive someone. I mean, it's a great idea until you have to do it. You know what happens so often you begin to speak of this term forgiveness? The, the, the very next part of our conversation is often this, yeah, but if you knew my side of the story, like if you really knew my situation, you know, you, you would, this, this would be different. And it's true. Like, I think if I knew every one of you here is wrestling in this area, if I knew your side of the story, I would probably take your side. Because I would hope you would do the same for me. That if I share, it's like, man, it's like this. And you're like, yeah, yo, yeah, brother. Okay, we, we get it. But you know, the truth is sides, sides is not the solution we need. Man, we live in a culture that is so sided on so many things now. And it, it doesn't bring relationship together. Today's title is just simply called Relationship Reset. That is bringing relationship back together. And forgiveness is this this thing that we don't always know. uh, We don't really know what's best for us. We think if we can navigate this in our own ways, we think we're going to be all right. But forgiveness is actually something we need to think about and need to talk about for one reason. Jesus talked about it a lot. He talked about it a lot. And it's, as I read about, you know, what other people online say, and I read about what Jesus says about it, it's crazy. It's like, it's like he knew, knew exactly how we were designed to be. He knows exactly how we're broken. And he knows exactly what needs to happen in between in order for it to be repaired. Like he created us or something. Amen. Amen. It's funny, right? It's, it's like the words of this, of this book, and you'll see it today, they transcend time didn't matter. It was the same for people 2,000 years ago as it is today. The situation's different. The words, the power, the life is the same. Forgiveness was a big deal to Jesus. So big, in fact, if you want to turn towards Matthew, actually not towards, go to Matthew. So if you're in the, new t- in the Bible and you're like, I'm new to this, start flipping to the right until you get to red letters. Then you're close. And uh, it'll be somewhere in there, Matthew Matthew, you can go to Matthew 18, but before you get to Matthew 18, I want to share this. Forgiveness was such a big deal to Jesus, he'd just bring it up all the time and anytime. So the disciples one day, they came to him like, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And so he teaches them in Matthew 6, famous thing, the Lord's Prayer. And many of you, if I asked, you would be able to quote, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You'd go all the way through the, through the Lord's Prayer. But as soon as he ends the prayer, his very next sentence is this, Matthew 6, 14. You know, hallowed be your name, amen. And if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. You're like, ooh, that's a big deal. He's like, yeah, that's the point. I want you to understand forgiveness is a big deal. And the disciples might have been, okay, Jesus, (laughs) that wasn't the question. We were just asking, like, could you just teach us how to pray? We don't really, like, do we have to? Can we just not talk about this forgiveness thing? We've heard you before. And he's like, no. He's like, no, if you don't forgive others, your heavenly father will not forgive you. And he he kept bringing it up in their life. And he he keeps bringing it up in my life. And I can imagine he'll probably keep bringing it up in your life. He won't let it go until we let it go. I don't know if you found that. I don't know how much time has to pass. He won't let it go until we let it go. And it's almost like he's saying... To us this morning, he's like, I know they hurt you. I know they hurt you. But if you don't forgive, you're the one hurting you now. 
It's not them anymore. It's you. You're allowing a hurt to remain that doesn't need to remain anymore. And have you ever had blood poisoning before or know somebody who has? You know, we live, uh, yep, some. We live near a farm, and uh, my nephews, they, and my sons too, they just run around in bare feet. And uh, I remember Clayton one day got stepped on a nail and then ran through a manure pile and, uh, you know, had a cat lick his wound or something. But he, I don't know how, but all of a sudden he had blood poisoning. That kid's had it like five, six times in his life. Um, and and, and he, when, when it happens, it, you see the little wound. It's not that big, but it starts to turn red and fester. And we have that lots of times. The, the way you know it's blood poisoning is this little red line starts to, to creep away from it, going up the vein. And then anybody in the medical field, like they tell you, say, hey, draw a circle around it. You know, so you can see, they draw a circle around, you know, your knuckle. And like if the red line goes out of the circle, you need to get some help. Because it's a 50-50, actually a 50% chance of death from blood poisoning, from septus. And some of you are like, okay, we'll draw really small. And others are like, okay, you know, you've had your chances. <laughs> What's the point? It's this tiny little thing. We think, ah, it's this tiny little thing that can kill you if not dealt with. And there's some poetic people like Joyce Meyer who talk about it this way with unforgiveness. They said, harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping your enemy will die. (laughs) William Walton said it this way, to carry a grudge or unforgiveness is like being stung to death by one bee. You just keep letting it sting you and sting you and sting you. It's just that little wound, but it's, it's actually hurting you more than you realize. You know, for some of us here, we're like, yeah, but... Oh, man, if only we could ask Jesus, if only he was here, and we could ask him, if he understood my situation and how wronged I've been, Jesus, how much, how much am I going to have to forgive this person? And you're like, silence. See, he hasn't answered. Well, let me say this, that the disciples back then are very much like the disciples today. And the questions we have, they have as well. And we have that question, how much do I have to forgive? Well, thank you, Peter, because he actually asked it, and we'll see that in Matthew chapter 18. So would you read along with me from Matthew 18, verse 21? When I say read along, I mean just read in your mind. Uh, We won't all shout out together. Verse 21. Sorry, I'm in chapter 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? You know, Peter's asking in this moment, and that person could have been there in the room. It could have been one of the other 12 disciples. Like, Jesus, how much do I got to forgive? You know who? Seven times of this number of completeness. Like, Jesus, that's your number. Like, I'm a good guy, you know? Like, seven times. And Jesus answers him this way. She's like, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. And Peter's probably, like, grabbing his abacus and like, what? How much is... 70 times 7. Like, there's no way that guy could even wrong me 70 times 7 plus 1. Like, when do I ever get to get him back? Jesus says, let me tell you a story, Peter. And everybody else listening in. He's like, let me tell you. He says, therefore, because of your question, here's, here's what I want to tell you. He says, the kingdom of heaven, we're in verse 23, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. Can you picture what that's like? Being a dad to watch your wife and your children being sold off in front of your eyes, knowing you're next simply because of decisions you made that got you and your family into that kind of a pickle? Oh, it's heart-wrenching. 
But it says the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please, please be patient with me. I'll pay it all. I'll find a way. I'll, I'll, I'll make it back. I'll make it up to you. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave the debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. Remember those words. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down before him in much the same way and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it. I'll make it up to you, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't even wait. He had the man arrested right then and there and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Some of the other servants saw this and they were very upset, as they should be. They went to the king. They told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And Peter and everyone listening, he says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Oh, harsh story, Jesus. He's like, let me remind you of the bigger picture. Because right now you're in a spot where you just see the little picture. And he's like, that's not what it's all about. There is a much bigger story being told. And Jesus uses a story about money and debt to illustrate forgiveness. Because the word forgiveness is the same thing. Release a debt. Release a debt. They, they, they don't owe you anymore. And it's a verb. It's, it's an action. It's not a noun. A noun would be like, oh, I have the feeling of forgiveness. And I'll wait till that feeling arrives. This is never a feeling. This is something you do on purpose. It's an action. And it's not passive. It's not like, oh, I'll wait till, I'll wait till, uh, till, it, till it works out and then you know, I'll forgive. But it's an active thing. And I think many of us are like Peter. We can lose sight of it pretty easily, especially when, man, they've wronged us. You're like, wow. Like if I could just get even. You know, I, I'm actually good with forgiveness as long as we're even. If I can get even with them, then I'll forgive them. If I can get my revenge, if I can get justice, then, then I'll forgive them. Ever been there? The man in the first story, man, like he wanted vengeance. He wanted justice. He grabbed the guy by the throat. Like I want, I want it back. I want to get even with you for what you've stolen or robbed from me or in the way of not paying it back. And I think when we get wronged, we have this natural desire in us to, to get even, to get back. I, I know uh, in fun, too, like whenever we prank Bob DeVries, he'll be like, don't worry, I don't get angry. I get even. Henry Cuck, I believe the same thing, yeah? Not in a bad way. But just don't prank them. But man, how many times we have that when, when we've been wronged, this feeling on the inside. The feeling is natural. What we do with it is where it gets interesting. And you know, as I was preparing for this, I found this interesting account in 2 Kings chapter 6. I was reminded of it. You can go there. You can just write it down and check out the story later. But in 2 Kings 6, there's a story of the nation of Israel. There's this larger army of the Aramean army that's coming after the Israelites. And they make their plans. They're like, we're going to surprise them. We're going to come in and get them from the west. And then there's this man named Elisha. And the Lord tells him, hey, tell the king the, uh, the, the Arameans are coming from the west. And the king, so Elisha tells the king, he's like, hey, they're coming from the west. And the king lines up and they set their defense strategy, which is always more, um, um, is, has the better opportunity to win. And then the king comes to surprise attacks. And, and it's like, here's all the rest of Israel. Surprise, we were ready for you. 
And they go like, okay, we'll go home. We'll find another way. And they say, so they conspire. We're going to go from the east next time. And uh, they go, and Elisha's like, hey, they're coming from the east. And they all line up and they're like, surprise, surprise, you knew we were coming. How do you know we're coming? And he says to his men, he's like, somebody in this room's a traitor. And he says, uh, you know, who is it? And one of the men puts his hand up. He's like, it's not, I'm not the traitor, but I know what's happening. He's like, there's a man in Israel named Elisha, and the God of all creation speaks to him. He says, King, he knows what you say in your bedroom. Like, he's warning the king. And so the king's like, okay, I got a plan. Let's go get him first. Where does he live? And they're like, he lives in Dothan. They're like, perfect, send the whole army to Dothan. So they go to Dothan, where this man is. And if you remember as a kid in Sunday school, the army surrounds the whole town. It's like, you know, they, uh, who lives in Hagersville? <laughs> ah, we'll just go with one I know. They go to Simcoe, and they surround the whole place. And they're like, we want Brian Bunting. That's what happens. You know, and it's like this guy goes out, his, uh, his, his servant goes out the next morning to get some water. And he looks and he's like, wow, we're surrounded. Like, we're, we're in trouble. And so he goes and asks, you know, one of the guys, hey, why are you guys here? And like, we are coming for Elisha. He's like, oh, dang, that's my boss. And he runs home. He's like, boss, boss, like, we're in trouble, man. Like, they've come for us. And it's that famous kid's story where Elisha just wakes up. He's like, oh, man, guy, don't, why are you so worried? He's like, because we're surrounded. He's like, man, there's more of us than them. He's like, there's one, two, like, man, you can't even count. And what does he say? He says that famous prayer, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see. And then his servant's eyes are open. And what does he see? He sees this army of horsemen and chariots, the armies of the Lord surrounding the other army. And I can think in his mind, he's like, okay, when do we tell them to slaughter them all? <laughs> and Elisha's like, no, no, that's not how this is going. Lord, help them to see the big picture. And here's what happens in 2 Kings 6. You can follow along on the screen. Verse 18, as the Aramean army advanced towards him, Elisha prayed this, oh Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And then Elisha went out and told them, hey, you fellows have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me. I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And so Elisha led them to the city of Samaria, which is the capital city. It's the garrison of the whole Israelite army. And he leads them right into the courtyard of it. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. And if you think about this, you need a picture. Here's these guys in, uh, in, in the middle of, a, of this country. And it's like you waking up in the, like waking up in the morning and it's, all the lights are already on. You're like, oh, like you can't, can't see. That's what happens to these guys. Their eyes are open. They're surrounded by their, by their enemies, and they discover they're in the middle of Samaria. Verse 21, when the king of Israel saw them, he shouts to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? That's exactly how we feel, right? Man, they came to kill us. Now we got the opportunity. Now we have the chance to get even. And what does he say? Verse 22, of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. I can imagine the king being like, well, this is crazy. What do you mean do good to them? They didn't come to do good to us. Elisha, the Lord is surely in this. He's put them in our hands. We, God wants us to kill them. He's like, no, he wants you to feed them. Be nice to them. And they're like, oh, 23. So the king agreed, made a great feast for them, and then sent them home to their master. And look at how it ends. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Should I kill them? Should I get even? They came with evil intent. No, show them grace. Show them mercy. Show them forgiveness. Yeah, but I'll do that once we get even. 
Think about that for a minute. Have you ever thought about that desire to get even in you? I've heard other pastors talk about it. I was reminded of that. Then when we were like here and we look down at these people who, how could they have done that to me? How could they have been so callous, so cold, so treacherous, so traitorous, so evil? And we look down at that. How could they? How could they? How could they? And I want to get even. But in our desire to get even, and we do whatever it is that we think makes us even, it makes us even. Now we are the people that we so look down on. We become the one we are so upset at. None of us want that. Forgiveness remains on the high road. How do you think the story would have ended if they had killed those men? The stronger army would have pillaged and raided them for the rest of their lives, getting even with them. I know as you hear this this morning, you think about it in your individual situation scenario, you probably have that thought, but I don't want them to get away with it. Like, man, what they did was wrong. I don't want them to get away with it. I want justice. Can I just simply remind you today that forgiveness is not an absence of justice. Your forgiveness is not an absence of justice. And I, wanna, I want you to see this. Turn to Luke chapter 18. So if you're in Matthew, just go to the right. Go to Luke 18. I want, I want you to see this. It's a powerful thought. Luke 18, verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. <clears throat> He's telling them a lesson about prayer. He says this, There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. She's actually saying, Avenge me. Take vengeance on my enemy. Give me justice. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, Man, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. That should be on a mug somewhere. It's in, the, it's in the Bible. <laughs> and what does he say? He's like, she's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice. Why? Because she deserves it? Because she's such an amazing lady? No, because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. She's just nagging and nagging and nagging for this justice. What an interesting story. And you would think that Jesus would say, hey, fellas, take a lesson from this nagging woman. The more you beg, the more you plead, it's going to happen. He doesn't. He says this, and the Lord said, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Because even though he was unjust, even though he wasn't going to give her justice and vengeance and all of these things, it says even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Is he going to keep putting it off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. He'll, he will avenge them. He will take vengeance for them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? That last sentence seems kind of like it doesn't fit, right? Like, what, what do you mean? Like, it's all about vengeance, and then who's he going to find with faith? What's he asking? He's like, he's like, yeah, the Lord is going to make it right. The Lord, if, if it's in this life or in the next, justice will happen. He is a just God. It will happen. But he says, but how many people are actually going to trust him with that? So when I come to the planet, how many am I going to find? How many believers am I going to find who actually said, yeah, Jesus, I trust your word on forgiveness? Or will he find what he finds everywhere else? Oh, I'll take vengeance for myself. Oh, I want, I want to get that myself. Will he find people who actually trust him, as he said? So as we wrap this up, in the first story, Jesus told 
He was talking about this man who wanted revenge and he, he, you know, he took it for himself and look at what happened to him. Paul would later reiterate this to the Romans when he wrote about this topic, when Jesus was saying about these two men, the men who owed so much. Paul said that this is not just a story Jesus told, it's how believers lived. Romans 12, verse 17, you can jot this down. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. This is Paul to Jesus' followers. This is how we live. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Never get even. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. You can count on it. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, the ones who've wronged you, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you're going to heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You read that, you're like, simple? No. Easy? No, give me one of those memes online. I'll take that instead. The B one. Yeah, let's put the B one back up there. It was clever. Not easy. It's not simple. But is it better? Yes. And you ask that question, well, how often do I have to do this? As often as we're wronged, hurt, offended, etc. He's calling us to forgiveness. What is it? Trusting that the righteous judge of the earth will do what's right, as he says in Genesis. That they will reap what they sow, as he says in Galatians 6. And for some, you feel like, Man, isn't that like leaving the door open for us to just get hurt and hurt and hurt? Forgiveness isn't leaving a door open to get hurt and hurt and hurt. There's a wisdom to it. But forgiveness is actually leaving a door open for the potential of restoration. That if we don't leave that door open, it may never, well, will never happen. I don't know if you've ever been in a hotel with adjoining rooms and you have the two doors in between. You know, both sides can lock their door. And oftentimes this is where forgiveness plays out in the real world, in our real lives, is that if we hold unforgiveness, we just lock the door to the relationship, ever having a chance to be reconnected. And we don't control their door. We don't get to decide what they're going to do, whether they're going to respond to it, whether they're going to apologize. They're, up, they're in charge of their door. But we are in charge of ours. And unforgiveness allows us to say, I'm going to keep this door open, that when they open theirs for safe restoration, that can happen. I'll make sure that that's possible, that that can happen. And why? Not because they deserve it. They don't. Not because they can earn it. They can't. But because of this. It's what Christ did for us. When we didn't deserve it. When we didn't earn it. When we had the million dollar debt against the God of all creation. It was him who said, I'm going to keep this door open. I'm going to keep the door open of forgiveness. I'll give my life to make it happen. I will intercede on their behalf to make it possible that one day they just might they just might realize that this is a dead-end path and that they would turn and say, God, I need to be restored in relationship with you. I want the door to be open then. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here in your relationship with the Lord. It's non-existent. Maybe you're running from him. Maybe you think, oh, I can do life this way and it's going to be okay. But you keep running into things. You're like, oh, this hurts. Oh, this is broken. Oh, this didn't go the way I wanted. And there's always this longing on the inside that you can't fill. The door's open. The door, and he's calling us. He's calling us with those words from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And maybe that becomes our prayer as well. So in closing today, I say this, four quick thoughts. We'll put them up on the screen at the end. You don't have to, if you can't jot them all down. But let me just ask you this question. Is, this, is it you today? If you're here today and from the moment we started talking, there was a face, there was a name. You know he's speaking to you. Not, not that you're hearing my voice. You're like, oh, well, how can I apply this? Like, I, but you know, you feel it. 
And maybe you don't want to forgive. Maybe you don't feel like forgiving, but you know you need to. What do you do if you're struggling in this area? Can I just say the Lord, he will bring these things in our life. I just had it happen to me the other day. I was sitting in our men's group Tuesday night. Francis Chan's preaching on the, on the video screen. And as I'm sitting there listening, he's not talking about forgiveness. He's not talking about any of that stuff. But he, he's, all of a sudden, he has this one statement. He says, if you know, if you know that God wants you to do something and you don't do it, it's disobedience and it's sin. And I was like, as soon as he said it, a person's name and their face came up in my mind. I'm like, why am I thinking about this? And he's like, you know. I've brought this to you time after time after time. And time after time after time, you've pushed it to the side. Like, no, I don't want to engage with this. I don't want to deal with this. I, 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 I'm, it's, it's painful. I don't want to touch it. He says, I know, but you need to. And in that moment, I realized... I can't do this on my own. So I said to my group of fellas, I said, fellas, (laughs) I need you to ask me a question next Tuesday. I know that I need to reach out to somebody in this area of forgiveness, and I've put it off for a year and a half. I need you guys to ask me. I need to not have an excuse this week. I'm grateful for those brothers who did. Because it's that opportunity just to be obedient to him. You don't feel like it. You might not want to do it, but if you know you need to, here's four thoughts. Number one, real quick, dig deeper into his word yourself. Go through those texts. Just say, Lord, here's my heart. I'm open to you. Last week we talked about it. Observe, read it, interpret. What does he want me to do? And then apply it. Obey what he's asking you to do. And may Holy Spirit lead you in that simply the way that he led me as well. And that you might know the truth and that'll set you free. And then second, choose forgiveness. Choose it. Choose it. You have the option to choose something. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It chooses not to keep a list of all the wrongs. And choosing it is not just for their good, it's for your good. And you're like, yeah, but it's not easy. It's not the easy way. But let me tell you, unforgiveness is not easy either. It never, never lets go. And so you've got two difficult paths to choose. Choose your difficult path. For some saying, you know, but I can't forgive. And I've heard people say, I can't forgive. What they've done to me, I can't forgive. But in honestly, what you're saying is, I won't forgive. Because you do have the opportunity. You do have the choice to say, I'll choose to forgive. I know it's not easy, but God, I'll choose. And then these following two steps help you in that walking that out. The third point is this, pray for them. Begin to really pray for them. Talk to God about them. Not the way you have been. Lord, kill them. (laughs) I mean, some people, even in the Psalms, that's how they pray. God! What does he pray? Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Father, he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I'm reminded that I have the wrongs as well, Lord, before you, Father, forgive me. And then Jesus commanded in Matthew 5, he's like, I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's going to be some of them. Pray for them. And then Jesus' example on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And maybe you're like, yes, they know what they're doing. No, they, fully, they don't fully know what they're doing. You can echo that prayer, Father. I pray for them. Would you forgive them? Because they don't know what they're doing to me. I'll leave it this thought. Maybe you're like, yeah, but they haven't apologized. They don't deserve it. You know, I'm going to wait for them to come and apologize. Let me just say this. The ball is always in your court. That's the good news about forgiveness. Because for some, the people who've wronged you are dead. And they're long gone, and yet they still reside here. And they still are, you're still allowing hurt here because you haven't let that go. The ball is always in your court. How do we know? 
Mark 11, verse 25, Jesus says this, when you're praying, when you're praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. His prayer and forgiveness are often tied together. It's funny when we start to, we say, God, I want to I know you. And he's like, yeah, I want you to deal with this. And you're like, God, I don't want to know you anymore. <laughs> I don't know about you. You have it. And you're like, I just want to go to Bible study, Jesus. And you bring this up in my life. The disciples, teach us how to pray. Oh, I don't want to deal with that. They're tied to each other, which I love because in our relationship as we grow with him, we become more like him. His ultimate forgiveness begins to come out in our lives as well. And he says, hey, you know, if you're praying and you know you've, got, you've done wrong somebody or they've wronged you, forgive them. And then Matthew 5, 23, he flips the script and says this. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, you're there for worship and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. You've wronged them. He's like, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. The worship, oh, you know, that's not as important as this. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your praise to God. He's saying, man, if they've wronged you, forgive them. And if you've wronged them, go and make it right. Romans 12, verse 18 says this, and we've read it once, but in the King James it says this, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Their response is not your responsibility. But what he calls you to do is, man, and, and being disobedient, it's not fun. It, it's not fun. And then finally, trust that what he says he will do, he'll do. Trust that the God of all creation, the God of all the universe, will do what he said he will do. The righteous judge will bring justice. He'll do what's right. He'll bring justice either in this life or the next. But you can trust. You can trust him and that he has indeed forgiven you. Colossians 3, Paul says it this way, last verse. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, and he, God loves you, he's like, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. We would love it if our wives would do that. We would love it if our husbands did that. We would love it if those people in our lives would do that. Well, they feel the very same way about you. <laughs> I would love it if they would clothe themselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Verse 13, that they would make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, and that's the reason why we must forgive others. We pray tonight, today, I would pray along with you that Holy Spirit would just speak. That maybe as he's translating this into your situation today, you would realize what you need to do. And he makes it pretty clear. He makes it pretty clear. And I would say too, if afterwards you're like, yeah, oh man, I, I need to pray with somebody. I'd love to do that with you. I'd love to take that moment because I see the victory on the other side of obedience and we don't know whose lives and how many lives are hinging on our response to this. To this. Let's pray. Father, uh, your word's powerful. It really is. Your voice is even more so. We hear it in our heart and the inside of us and we know, realize it's you. Father, I pray that we would know your goodness and realize that when you speak in our lives, it's for our good. That you would find us as those people who truly trust you. To trust you to do what's right. Lord, I pray for people in this place who've been wronged, really wronged. Hurt and really hurt. This is tough this morning to hear. And it feels hopeless. It feels like it's, the, it's, the, it's bad advice. It feels like it's the wrong thing. And everything in our nature wants to go against it. 
God, I pray that by your spirit you graciously lead individuals in this and through this this morning. Jesus, help us to remember the big picture that it's us who had offended you. It's us that had sinned against you. It's us with the million-dollar debt. Jesus, your grace, oh, your kindness. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that this morning. Lord, may that just so affect our lives that it truly does affect the way we treat others. Lord, may we recognize that we've been forgiven and may we live out that forgiveness today for our good, Lord, and that you might be glorified. Let's pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.